0: So today we are with Chris Magwood in Canada. And uh, Chris, thanks for joining us, Chris, first of all.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: So the first time I came across you was when people started commenting on my videos on earthbag homes and they say, you need to make a video on straw bale homes. And I'd never heard of something like that. I just Googled it and your name popped up on every single search um, on Google. And um, I was just fascinated with the work that you've done and your history in In the sustainable home um area and all your expertise and all the books that you've written so we first talked a couple of months ago and that was before i had started my podcast so i'm very excited to have you on because you're just a wealth of knowledge in this sustainable building materials field and um i'm i'd love i'd love to know more how you got started
1: well, I got started just as a as an owner builder who, um, you know, I wanted to make a house for my family that was affordable and uh, good for the planet and healthy for us and efficient and, you know, all of those kind of criteria that uh, that people often have when they think about, you know, a home. And so at the time, it, it feels crazy to say but you know there wasn't really internet searches in the early 90s so you know my partner and I were looking at books and talking to people and visiting places and and just looking at all the things that people had done and ways that um people had had tried to meet all of these criteria and we kept going through these cycles of finding out about something getting really excited and then really exploring it in more depth and kind of wondering oh I don't know if that's really the thing that you know that that, your
0: hopes were dashed yeah yeah
1: um and then kind of the opposite happened with straw bale I was at a bookstore and and the bookstore owner said hey you might be interested in this and kind of handed me uh the straw bale house book that that came out in the 90s and and my first reaction was like no I'm not interested in that you know that sounds way too crazy but sort of the opposite thing happened I thought that maybe it wasn't a good idea but the more research I did the more I was like oh actually you know I had all these questions, I had all these criteria going in and it actually feels like this is this is gonna meet those. Um, and I got less skeptical and more more interested. And so uh, my partner and I ended up building the first permitted straw house in Ontario. And,
0: and that was and, in uh, 1996, right?
1: That's right, yeah. And so we weren't so much uh, thinking that this was a career move, it was just a house, but um, because of the timing, uh, Other people found out that this is what what we had done. People started showing up. People started asking questions. I got asked to go do a a workshop on a shed. And it just, you know, within a year or two, it had snowballed into a a full-time job as a a sort of design build. I was part of a small team of three of us that ran a design build firm that did a lot of straw bale and kind of alternative construction things over over the following decade. So Um, you
0: kind of became a guru in... Alternative construction.
1: Yeah if by guru you mean I tried everything, made every mistake possible and then figured out how to do it better the next time that's it wasn't it wasn't like instant genius it was you know trial a lot of trial and error. Um, I think the thing that that served really well was um, the, the notion that we went into our house project with was like actually trying to set ourselves some criteria, That we knew we could sort of measure like we didn't want kind of like feel good green you know if if I was interested in indoor environment quality like I want to know like how do you measure the you know indoor air quality what sorts of things make it bad and and so you know for all the things the energy efficiency you know we did one of the first energy models for a home in Ontario and and so always trying to look to not just what sounds good or what feels good but what you know
0: performs sort of, well
1: performs and is measurably good and you know the the longer the longer I stayed at it the, the better those metrics became the better my ability to kind of understand what metrics I should be trying to use and and finding different you know ways uh, that people were, were using to measure these things so
0: so where uh, do you think that passion and that curiosity came from? Because it's easy to make something that looks uh, environmentally friendly or green and, and yeah. limited it and just market it as environmentally friendly environmentally friendly but you went a step beyond and like you said the numbers matter to you the performance mm-hmm. matter to you and why like what drove you to get to that level of detail
1: i, I think maybe i'm just that kind of person but also I, I felt kind of um i felt that i had gotten greenwashed a lot in 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 my own house project everything from you know, that the, the architect who is involved in the plans to the everybody trying to sell me products, you know, it the, the mid 90s were sort of the boom of like green construction. And suddenly, like every single product had some sort of green leaf or green flag on the label. And and, you know, everything was touting its environmental, you know, benefits. Um, and so a lot of that was, again, making mistakes, like buying into some of that, that advertising and you know getting a a paint or a caulking that was supposed to be healthy and then opening the can and like the smell made me want to vomit. And it's like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> like how, how is this green? And so I think, I think, you know, a lot of that was just me realizing I can't, I can't take anybody's word on this, you know, or at the time I felt that way. And so if I'm gonna get this right, I'm gonna have to figure a lot of that stuff out for myself.
0: So like you said, this was before the internet and information was as easily available as it is now. So how were you able to seek out all this important information and how were you able to educate others on what was truly green, what was just greenwashing?
1: Um, That's a good question. I mean, you know, amazingly, information moved around before the internet. and So there was, you know, there was, attending conferences there was you know phone conversations with people there were meetings with folks there was uh, a lot of you know reading of of books you know the healthy house book came out around that time prescriptions for a healthy home so you know there was there was information it it just wasn't as quickly at your fingertips but in a lot of ways that information was was a bit could be a bit more reliable because know if somebody's going to publish a book on how to make a healthy home they really researched it and a publisher Mm -hmm. got behind them and there was you know an editor and at least some level of verification versus you know today where it's like
0: yeah i took 10 minutes to write this article make a slick
1: website and like suddenly you're selling you know a, a green building idea um and i think there's great things about the way that that's happened but i you know there was there was information out there it was just a little harder to find it um but but when you did it was often really good really thorough really well researched and and so you know provided a lot of a good base for for understanding
0: so you started the endeavor center was that in the early 2000s
1: um the endeavor center started in tw- 2011 2011
0: okay and that was just you taking all the information you learn through your own self-builds, through your talks, through your research and wanting to educate more people and spread information out faster. Yeah. So what did you, what did you have, what sort of courses did you have at the Endeavor Center?
1: Um, The, 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 the the sort of the core of the Endeavor Center was based around um, a half year long course where we actually built a building from start to finish with, with the class. So they were, Kind of there through the entire process, um, you know, got hands-on experience with all the different sort of materials and systems. Um, got to see, you know, that how all that stuff works when the building inspector comes to the site, and and you know how how tradespeople get incorporated into all of that. So it was this very um, sort of holistic, hands-on approach to to learning that, and then that was kind of augmented by lots of shorter workshops that were focused on a particular material or a particular subject so you know a weekend workshop in hempcrete insulation or you know natural plasters or earthen floors and things like that so it, the center was a, a mix of, of you know that long you know education of, of seeing a whole building or just you know people being able to pick the the subjects that that were of interest to them and just do a, a focused dive
0: into that. So like you just mentioned, you, you weren't just diving into straw bill homes and you didn't think that that was the one solution fits all to all problems, but you were also advocate, you were also an advocate or you are an advocate for hempcrete and hemp insulation. Um, what are the products to, do you identify as sustainable building materials?
1: Um, I, think, I think that just trying to define that, you know, is, is a you know, tricky yeah (laughs) because one you know I realized working with with people on their designs early on that people would come to us with you know this notion I want I want to build a green home or a sustainable home or you know whatever overarching term they used that could mean very different things you know even though people are using the same term so the the thing that that sort of came out of the the the, the the building business and 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 then got formalized as an endeavor was we kind of came up with what we called our criteria matrix and so we realized there are about 10 different things that people meant when they said green you know for some people that was energy efficiency for some people that was like doing the least harm to the planet and its ecosystems for some people it was building health um you know so there are all these different aspects Aspects. And what we realized is, depending on how people prioritize all those different aspects of a green building, you make them a different building. So, you know, a, a straw bale building was not always the solution, a hempcrete building was not always the solution. The solution was find out what what mattered to the, to the person sort of commissioning this building, find out what their most important criteria are, and then you use the materials that get you the building that, that does that. So, um, you know, in our criteria, we're also things like, does, do you want this to be fully building code compliant or are you willing to go through some alternative compliance, you know, pathways?
0: Do you, you maybe get, get a maybe more- Building you, out of either okay. one of
1: these, but, but if, you, if you don't want to take say the extra time or spend the extra money or want the, the hassle of going down the alternative compliance path, a straw bale building might not be for you but you know if your reasons for thinking about a straw bale building were that you wanted great indoor air quality you wanted local materials you wanted vapor permeable wall system like we can also do that with dense packed cellulose insulation and a wood fiber board outside and and we can hit the same r values and we can be non-toxic and we can be vapor permeable but all within code being code compliant and so you know that it's sort of like a pick your own adventure <laughs> book, um, where, you know, that, the, the kinds of choices that, that, that were most important to people end up, end up choosing the materials. And so, you know, for, for, a lot of, a lot of the design process for me is being sort of like the annoying three-year-old who, who just always asks why, <laughs> you know, so if somebody comes to me and says, I want a straw bale house my first thing is, okay, great, it's like, why? Like, what, what is it about that that, that you know, that attracted you and, and like, just keeping, like every answer, I'll just do why again until it's like, okay, now we're at the root uh, mm-hmm. of this and now, now I understand why. So now let's build back up from there to make sure that all of the choices around the design and the materials are answering those critical questions um, rather than feeling like this thing does so going for it um,
0: okay I think that that yeah. makes sense yeah like get yeah. to the the core reason of why you're doing this build and and your client may not have even known the reason that they were doing this but by you prodding them and, and yeah. getting to that core reason yeah. that that's how you got there so yeah and, the, and it's true sorry. quite
1: often quite often you know people did their eyes kind of got open to criteria that they hadn't even thought about right like indoor environment quality what's that like you know and then and then once you start explaining it they're like yeah of course i want it i want a house with no toxins but i hadn't even considered the fact that that was even a problem but now that you've mentioned it actually that's my number one priority or you know that's like among my top priorities because of course i don't want chemical off-gassing in my house or you know i want really good water i want you know all those things that that support my own health. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, letting people know what, you know, what all those core choices are and then let the material selections kind of flow from from meeting those.
0: So I'm trying to wrap my head around how you conduct these projects. And all of these projects were in Canada, right? Yeah. Okay. So you a client approached you with the project and then you tried to decipher what they really wanted come up with plans and then your six month courses that you provided at the center, were there other people who like third parties and just random people who had signed up for this and then would build this client's home? Yep. And what, was the client ever involved in the build as well? Um,
1: sometimes we didn't, we actually didn't do a lot of uh, homes in, in, with Endeavor. We mostly tried to do public buildings Okay. So we worked on things, um, like outdoor education centers. We did, um, uh, a food bank and thrift store. We did, um, you know, that, that kind of, um, more public building so that the, the class wasn't, you know, they were paying to come and learn, but they weren't paying to support some random individuals, you know, yeah. house construction. They were sort of also contributing something to the community where we were building and, um, you know, a building that, that educated them, but then also goes on to educate all the users of the building. So as much as possible, we tried to, to sort of find projects that, that, that that included that kind of more public element.
0: Did, I'm assuming many of the people that you trained in these projects went on to build their own sustainable homes as well after their courses.
1: Yeah, yeah, we had people who built their own houses. We had people who started careers, um, either as um, builders or more More people sort of started, uh, you know, businesses as subcontractors because they found, you know, a part of what we did at Endeavor. Like I'm really, I love, um, you know, natural plasters or I love you know, installing solar or, you know, things like that. So a lot of people kind of found their own specialty and, and, and did that. Um, we would always have people who are already um, either architects or engineers or, you know, building designers who, who wanted to understand the materials and the approach in a more hands-on way. And so then could kind of start to incorporate that. So we, we always had a really mixed um, group of people um, in those classes.
0: So while you were running these classes, you also somehow found time to write eight books on healthy build, healthy building, and sustainable building materials, right? Yeah. So uh, what what's the content of the books, and how did you manage to structure them? Um,
1: well, they're they're some they're kind of everyone's a bit different. There some are specifically about uh, uh, you know a, a material or an approach. So um, you know did a, a couple of uh, early books on straw bale construction, done one on hempcrete, um, did one on, on prefabricated uh, panel systems. So, you know, things that are like, you know, this a very in-depth look at a, at a particular um, uh, element. And then a couple of buildings were about the approach that I've just been describing. So um, I did one called Making Better Buildings that, that is sort of, you know, all about those criteria and then all the different materials and how do they fit those criteria um, and then sustainable essential sustainable home design is kind of like, how do you take those criteria and kind of, you know, turn it into your own house plans. Um, so yeah they they've all been different than the, the newest book is called build beyond zero and it's about um, looking at how do we turn not just sort of reduce the carbon footprint of buildings, but how can we turn buildings into the planet's sixth major carbon sink? Um, so sort of uh, looking at, at building as a way to kind of flipping it from trying to do less harm to actually, you know, buildings good. that do real good for uh, for the climate. And then, and then also in all those other ways, we've been talking about, you know, people's health and affordability and accessibility and, you know, equity and justice and all that kind of stuff. I think there's a real convergence where, where the kind of climate crisis we're in now has the potential to change how we build, not just for the climate, but in all of those ways. And, and, you know, I'm pretty. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you, I've, I read a quote from you somewhere on another interview and it said that we have to look past energy efficiency and look at carbon use, carbon footprint of buildings and how like, like you just described not just how the building functions and and hope that it affects the environment less than it currently does, but actually make it better for the environment. And what are some specific ways you think that homes could actually or buildings could actually do that?
1: Well, from a from a, like a straight kind of carbon accounting point of view, um, you know, a lot of the materials, a lot of the natural materials that I've spent a long time working with, it turns out you know they there's more atmospheric carbon stored in those materials than was emitted in turning them into a building material. And so, you know, uh, a well-designed straw bale house or hempcrete house or something like that can actually be a net store of carbon. So there's actually less carbon in the atmosphere when you're done this building than there was when you started. And so, um, you know, there aren't many industries where you can do that, where you can sort of uh, keep doing the business that you're doing of building buildings, but but actually have a positive climate impact instead of a, a negative climate impact. So, you know that that's such a you know exciting possibility, yeah. and it it yeah it it carries with it you know all kinds of I think side ben- not side benefits but stacked benefits of yeah. you know like you those, talked about
0: equity and other things yeah those natural materials.
1: Reach. Tend to have be non toxic. They tend to come from local economies. They tend to support local farmers and foresters, and you know recycling centers and stuff like that. And and um, you know they can be put together by people from the community. And you know it just there's if we if we kind of think about it holistically, there's a way to not just like fix the climate by numbers, but to fix the climate by numbers and you know in a in a meaningful way for everybody like the
0: intangible part like yeah. that's what you're talking about yeah, yeah. so um, so what do you think the biggest hurdle is to achieve to achieving that that ideal building that actually does good for the environment is it that like straw bale homes or hempcrete homes are heavily reliant on manual labor is it the the learning curve associated with it? Why do you think we haven't widely adopted that kind of building method yet
1: I think there's a bunch of reasons. I think none of none of them are technical you know we in fact there are some great companies making uh, prefabricated versions of of all of those things where yeah. they sort of
0: like you, you talked know, about the prefabricated straw bill panels
1: yeah. yeah yeah so you know they' the companies making those they're not relying on you know an excessive amount of, of you know, uh, intense labor or anything like that. I think mostly, well, I think there's a few things, there hasn't been a compelling reason to make this switch, you know, at best the these, the, these approaches say like prefabricated straw bale panels are cost competitive, you know, they're, they're basically the same cost as existing approaches to building. So you're not going to save money by doing it, but you also have to change your supply chains. Yeah. you have to retrain your crew. you have to you know there's a, there's a whole bunch of work involved in, in changing it. Even if it doesn't cost you more, why would you put in the effort when there's no financial return? I think maybe now the climate is one of those reasons that might you know that might help push more people in that direction um and also about- i'm
0: sorry i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt you but okay. um I've, now that you're talking about this uh it makes me think about carbon credits and i i recently started diving into carbon credits and how it's it's very uh, there's a lot of greenwashing going on in that sector mm-hmm. but if we're able to somehow eventually apply that to homes that could be an added incentive to building better homes like if mm-hmm. your home like you say, is actually doing good for the environment, and that counts towards certain carbon credits, that's the financial incentive for new homeowners and new builders.
1: Yeah, and I think there is there is interesting stuff going on. Um, there's an American startup called Aureus Earth that's particularly looking at uh, offering carbon credits for carbon stored in buildings and building materials. Uh, Puro Earth is doing something similar in Europe right now. So I think yeah, I think that is that is you know one one potential pathway um to to kind of yeah incentivize if if you're not going to make the building less expensive but but you can earn you know a few thousand dollars per building in in uh, in carbon credits then that that's another motivation. I think you know another one of the reasons it, it sounds maybe counterintuitive but but these technologies are actually too simple they're too easy You know, by and large, when you when people invest a lot of money in a new building product or a new building material, they're doing that because they have a patentable idea that, you know, they can, they have intellectual property control over, you put in the investment, you own that idea for, you know, however many decades and you, you know, you then recoup your investment. Most of the things like, you know, say a prefab straw bale wall company, like, there's, there's almost... Nothing there is fact, nothing patentable there. Yeah. It's it's really easy. It's really straightforward. But but you don't you won't own that technology. You know you can't sort of be the one to take it to market and kind of uh, own it or control it. And I think you know that's one of the things. And there is no like there is no big straw. You know corporate <laughs> uh, you know driver behind behind those sorts of things either. So. You know, it's in the in the startup world. It's it's a lot of very you know small companies trying to start up, trying to do it for all of these great environmental reasons. But there's you know they're they're not um, accessing kind of capital in the way that they could if they had uh, a really great sort of like brand new idea that that was you know yeah. somebody could invest in and know that their their investment is you know going to get this is, return.
0: Yeah. The yeah. shiny new thing. Straw is yeah. not it's not shiny and it's not new. Yeah. It's one of the oldest building materials. So yeah. it's hard to excite people with that idea.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So in your research and your building and all, you, you've been developing this really cool software called Beam. And that stands for Building Emissions Accounting for Materials. Mm-hmm. So when did you start developing this Beam Calculator?
1: Well, I got interested in understanding what the carbon footprint of materials is when I was working on the making better buildings book because you know I was trying to lay out these 10 different criteria for materials and one of them I thought you know the climate like we should be like how does this work and so you know I found a very early database from the UK that attempted to sort of give carbon footprint numbers for materials and so in that book I kind of attached those numbers to the materials and that was really surprising it was sort of a new metric for me it wasn't one that I had worked with before but as I sat with those numbers and started making like some model buildings and applying them I was like this is this is really big (laughs) like you know if I if I choose the wrong materials for a building its carbon footprint appears to be massive and so you know, that just kind of started me down this path of really wanting to understand that, like, was I was I right, you know, were these numbers right? And so, you know, over the course of a few years of, of just self-motivated research, and then I went back to school and did a master's degree. Um, in the process of doing that master's degree, I realized, well, I'm going to need to make some sort of tool for me to look at these buildings, because I can't find anything that does what I want it to do Um, and so coming out of that 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 master's thesis I kind of had this clumsy spreadsheet tool that I could use but nobody else could use but it you know it gave really good answers my academic supervisor was like yep you know you're doing all of this right like all the math is good um and so that kind of um just started on the path of, you know, maybe maybe this should turn into something that other people can use too. And so, yeah, it's been- It's uh, taken a
0: while, it's taken about 10 years or so. Yeah, I mean,
1: the, the last two years of like really intensive focused development time on Beam, we've had a, a really small but really good team working on it full time for, uh, for quite a while now. And uh, yeah, it just got- And released. you've
0: chosen to release it for free for anyone to use, right? Yeah,
1: I mean- we're hoping that people will contribute to it. You know, we, we didn't want to put it behind a paywall because we want to make sure that anybody could access it. Um, but we're really also, um, you know, hoping that people who do access it and find it useful will kind of contribute and that will allow us to keep, you know, developing the tool and stuff. So it's, it's free, but we really hope most people will pay
0: for it. So right now it uh, calculates the carbon footprint for, uh, or building emissions for walls and stuff, but you hope to broaden the scope of BEAM to include MEP systems and other components of a building too.
1: Yeah, so right now it, it's got all the materials that you might use for kind of the structure, the enclosure and the partitions. So, um, which is, you know, the bulk, like it's the main mass of, of, a, of, a, of a building. Um, and it's also the materials where there's, the greatest difference between the options so you know the difference between like flooring a or b can be sometimes 10 times you know the amount of emissions or a cladding or an insulation like there's there's some really wide spreads there so um and the the data is the best for those materials right now but yeah we really are hoping to expand it also into the mechanical and electrical and plumbing stuff the things like final finishes like paints and stains and, and other categories like that. And cocks right too, categor- maybe
0: Cox and yeah. sedans.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we, we sort of concentrated on the, the sort of bulk materials that, that, you know, in the end, are, I think are still going to make up the majority of the, the emissions for the building. But, um, but we had, that was the, the place where the data was the best and the people could make the biggest difference by, by seeing those numbers. Yeah.
0: So now that you have moved on from the Endeavor Center and you you moved on to writing a new book, you moved on to releasing this beam calculator, what do you have in store for the rest of this year and the coming years?
1: It's a good question. Um, I actually um, just took on a position at the Rocky Mountain Institute uh, in their embodied carbon program. And so really excited about that to um, you know, be doing this kind of climate and building related work w- with a really great international team um thinking a lot more now about how does how does this show up in policy so you know we've now got a tool like beam that can that can help uh, a home builder say well this is the carbon footprint of my house now what we want to do is have you know standards
0: in the code maybe yeah, yeah
1: cities provinces states federal governments sort of going oh so you know if if we have a target that we need to reduce emissions by you know 50% by 2030 then we can use a tool like beam to say well this is the carbon footprint of a house today so 50% less than that in the next 10 years is this and so you know starting to to work on on policy related things that that will kind of like connect those two now we have we can generate good numbers for buildings now we can sort of generate some some policy that that kind of pushes everything in, in that direction.
0: That and, seems and like an exciting new step in your career. Like you're using all the information you've gained for the past 20 years or so towards like enact changing policy, changing building codes and having a larger impact on the building sector. That's very exciting.
1: It is. Yeah, it is really exciting. It's, uh, And I think, you know, it's really great to, to have arrived here from, from a hands-on, hands-on approach practice.
0: exactly rather than just um, theoretical
1: it's, yeah it's not just an academic exercise where it's like oh I made these models and I made this tool and you know it's in theory here's some answers it's like well no I, I know how buildings get built I know how conventional buildings are built I know how these alternative buildings are built and you know so the, the numbers that we're generating are real, real. and we can, you know look at them in sort of like Worst case scenarios, really average scenarios, best case scenarios, and be able to talk to policymakers about, like, from a point of understanding, like, what will it take the building industry to move in this direction? You know, what what are the obstacles? What are the hurdles? Um, where are the easy wins that you can push quickly? Where are the things that are going to take more time and more support? So,
0: I know you're, you're like ex-
1: a, a career of building to a point where you know. I can have those conversations in those different with those different stakeholders um, in in a productive way, I think.
0: And your experience talking to clients and asking them why, why, why is going to help you in talking to policymakers who may not be familiar with all these topics, helping them understand exactly how policy needs to change or why certain things in the policy are ineffective. helping them understand like the most elemental simplest part of the of, of policy that that's truly going to make a difference
1: yeah i hope so and 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 you know also trying to learn about what you know what is it like to be a policymaker and and you know like what are the realities of of that and i think you know my whole career has been pushing boundaries always like i'm always wanting to try the new thing but but not ever recklessly, um, you know, like I want to, I want to know what I'm trying to achieve. I want to make a good plan to achieve it. And, you know, from the outside it might look like, wow, that was a crazy thing you just did. But from the inside, it's like, no, it's not crazy at all. Like I did the research, I did the thing, we made the plans, we talked to the engineer, like this, this is all going to work. And so I feel like, you know, I'm starting to figure that out on the policy side too. Like, you know, where, you know, there's just so many different ways that, that that at different levels of government that these things can be enacted, and and you know municipalities have some control, but not you know a broad range of control. But they can be they have some really direct levers they can pull. The provincial governments also do. The federal governments also do. And so you know trying to you know make sure that that the the kinds of suggestions that we're making are appropriate for the the level yeah. of government that we're talking about
0: that's really exciting Chris well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your whole journey and and what you're up to now it's it's very exciting I'm looking forward to seeing the next eight books that you write over the next couple of years
1: <laughs> thanks yeah and I, yeah it's, it's really great to be on your podcast I'm i I'm also a big fan and and, and uh, love checking out your episode so uh, thanks so much for the invitation
0: thank you